Are you in the habit of riding off in the rain with strangers? It's the best way to make you leave. Hi, and welcome to One True Pairing, a.k.a. OTP. I'm Marissa. And I'm Erica. And today we have our last episode of our Romance Awareness Month, so we're crying on the inside and the outside. Um, if you haven't listened to our other episodes this month, we've talked with an editor and an author, a publisher, and a blogger. And today we have the absolutely fabulous Monique Patterson joining us, which I'm really excited about. She's an editorial director here at St. Martin's Press. Just say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. Monique has worked in romance for... Ever. Um, no, <laughs> like, I would say 20, like a little over 20 years now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and she oversees all the editors as well as editing her own books. We're super stoked that she's here joining us today. Before we dive into the juicy parts of the episode, let's break it down. We're going to shake this episode up a bit and have Monique tell us about her OTP first, then we'll get to talking about her work in this space. We don't have a game today, sad face, but we do have another guest. Denise Sprung from the romance blog Shush Mom's Reading joins us to tell us all about the generosity and support of the romance community. How does that all sound, Monique? Sounds good. Good. All right, let's do this. All right, so we asked Monique to prep a couple for us that she loves. She's going to give Marissa and I her elevator pitch on them, and then we are going to determine whether we ship them or skip them. (laughs) I'm ready. All right, let's do this. All right, so my favorite couple, one of my favorite couples, um, is from Dreaming of You by Lisa Kleypas, uh, Derek Craven, Craven, and Sarah Fielding. So I've never read a Lisa Kleypas. I'm really excited (laughs) to hear about this because I've heard amazing things. But yeah, Marissa. Actually, I think my book club read this, and I had to skip that month. <laughs> anyway, keep going. You should go back and read it. You should go back and read it. It's it's not like it's one of my favorite Lisa Kleypas books, mm-hmm. and you know the thing I love um, is Derek Craven. He's so he's such a broken man. Mm-hmm. You know, he's so he's very he's so strong. Like he had to be. Um, you know, this whole. Being born in the gutter and having this incredibly hard life, mm-hmm. um, and then he's 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 not unwilling to do immoral things, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you understand that. Like he he's someone that you can you you absolutely understand him, and you know that he is a good man, but man, he does some bad things. And Sarah Fielding, she is you know she is just this sweet but incredibly smart ass woman. Mm-hmm. She is fucking smart. And the minute she comes on the page, you know that it's going to be over for Derek. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if she, yeah, and, and that's exactly what happens. And I, I think what I love is how he turns into like just this in, in, unable to function, unable to speak. He's a mess. <laughs> He's a mess in front of her. He just doesn't, you know, everything about him that he has pulled around him to kind of protect himself mm-hmm. and make himself this ruthless businessman. Um, this sometimes ruthless, I won't say killer. I can't remember if he actually killed anybody, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had. Yeah. I, if I go back and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> no, he, he did murder. <laughs> um, but when it comes to her, there's this softening. And mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that I love about, you know, the idea that this man can turn into. It's not that he becomes a different man. I don't believe in the whole Beauty and the Beast thing, even right. though that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite fairy tales. It's the goodness is already there mm-hmm. in him, and Lisa does a really wonderful job of 
bringing these really complex characters to the page and then they fall in love. Yeah. You know, and Karen Byrne is another. She's yeah, my yeah, talk she about does her all that. all the time. You don't uh, understand Marissa's love. I've mentioned her like a thousand times and yeah. it makes so much sense that you're her editor yes. because this podcast has been sponsored by Karen Byrne. Basically. Because <laughs> it's very similar of these, these men who have had very difficult mm-hmm. lives and they have created these shells around themselves and then they find these women that are the only people who can like crack the shell. Right. Again, they don't change who they are. Right. But they just they just they, it's it's kind of a a coming back to, you know, that that more vulnerable side mm-hmm. of themselves. And, you know, you can't open that up to everybody, but yeah. they find someone who they can do that with. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and they're doing it just as much for themselves. That's what makes a really good romance for me. It's not I'm doing it for you. Mm. No, it's you have to be doing it for yourself. Yeah. And I love those kind of characters who are just complex and they're doing it because that person can sometimes be a catalyst. Mm-hmm. But whatever change they're going through is because of themselves yeah. and what they want for them, for right. their lives, which can include you being in my life. I want you here mm-hmm. with me. And so I need to not be an asshole all the time. Right. <laughs> but you don't want to lose all the asshole because, like, that's not weird. <laughs> that's not just, you don't want them to be totally nice because part of the reason you love them is because they're bad boys and kind of okay. You know, rough, you well, know? Right, I can kind of see that. You know, it's it's really, it's not about them, like you said, it's not about them becoming a different person. Yeah. And and I, th- I think we should clarify what we mean by asshole. We, yeah. You know, because they're, like, assholes yeah, that I mean, you should just Yeah, I guess it's more leave. bad boy, like. The criminal right. behavior, right? You know, it, there's, there's, um, as opposed to fuckboy behavior, right? Right, which we've covered, right? You know, these are these are good men. Yes, you know, they're good men and they're complicated and they've done some like stuff that you're like, mm. they've done wrong, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but they're not bad, right? And not always for, and sometimes for good reason, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, believe and you have to understand it. why they did it. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to. Um, it's complicated and it should be complicated. Yeah. You know? So. I cannot believe you've never read Lisa Kleypas given I'm how much sorry. you love Carrie Burns. They're <laughs> Not, so well, similar. That, they're the first one who's like likened the two and like oh, described yeah. her that way. Mm-hmm. So now I'm in it. I'm excited. Yeah. I'll find it and I'll buy it. Yes. <laughs> and we'll put it in our show notes. So if anyone else wants to buy it, they can. Okay. So do we ship it or skip it? I ship it, but uh, I love Lisa Kleypas. So I ship it. And my future self will ship it. I your, future self is, your future <laughs> self is going to be like, how did I live without knowing about this author? Yes. Exactly. Yay. Yeah. Yay. So now we get to talk about why we brought you on here. You. Which is exciting. <laughs> Can you start by giving us a bit of an overview on what you do, how you got into publishing, and what drew you to work on romance novels to begin with? Mm. So <clears throat> I'll try and keep this short because there's some interesting <laughs> stories in that. No, we got all um, of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, I'm, I'm the editorial director um, of St. Mars Paperbacks. And, you know, I my origins were romance, you know. So I started off at um, Avon, uh, Avon Romance, mm-hmm. um, right out of college. And I mean literally right out of college. I got the job before I graduated. Wow. And I started working a week after graduation. Wow. And um, – the first book, I walk through the door, and I think it was uh, Joanna Lindsay's first Mallory Christmas novel had just delivered, and my boss, who was her editor, um, was had just gotten it in, and everybody in the romance department was going to read it, mm-hmm. and so I, that's the first book that got wow. placed in my hands, <laughs> you know. So I was like, "Oh my god, I'm in the right place!" Um, but it's funny because when I was growing up, of course, I read all the teen romances. I read everything, mm-hmm. but I really, really loved romance. Just from the start, I had this thing for fairy tales and and love stories, and and um, and then when I kind of 
ran through all the teen romances and Sweet Valley Highs. Mm -hmm. And then I started reading adult romances, but I was like, I was young. I was not supposed to be reading those. (laughs) And my mother was not having it, but I would sneak and read them. And um, when we would go to visit my grandmother down south in Georgia, uh, my aunts would have this box full of romances and I would just spend the, the two weeks that we were down there just going through the whole box oh, and reading awesome. all of these books that I'm not <laughs> supposed we, to be reading. Can we talk real quick about the fact that every time we have a guest on there's always a story about stealing romances from your mom. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we all that have that common story. theme, yeah. <laughs> I did it, you mm-hmm. did it, Jen Enderlin did it, uh-huh. you've done it. <laughs> yes, from, from my aunts because my mom, if my mom ever read romance, I don't know, but I still don't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I used to read these, and, and it was one funny story. So I used to go to the library and just take out massive amounts of books. Mm-hmm. My mother didn't pay attention, yeah. you know, to what I was bringing <laughs> home because I'm reading. Right. You know, what's there to worry about? So, but I was not allowed to read adult romances. And so I got sloppy one day, and I was in the living room, and I had to go to the bathroom, and I put the romance down on the coffee table Oops. and went to the bathroom. And as I'm coming back, I hear my mom go into the living room. And I'm the only one who really goes to the library like that. So if she sees this book, she's going to know it's me. And you don't mess with my mom. She says, (laughs) don't do something, you don't do it. (laughs) So I'm out in the hallway sweating bullets. I'm like, oh, my God. I start praying. I start praying. (laughs) I was like, like, God, if you just let me get that book out of there without my mother seeing, I will not ever take another one out of the library. I promise, I promise, I promise. And I got it out with her her seeing. I don't know if I kept my promise. I was going to say, you're lying to God. (laughs) (laughs) So it was really funny to me, you know, when I sent my resume out blind. I was in my second semester of my senior year, and I sent my resume out blind to, like, five different publishers, Mm -hmm. and Avon Books called me back like the next day yeah. and they were like do you like romance and I was laughing to myself I was like yeah, yeah. And I, and I'm like I'm like, I'm grown now my mama can't say that I almost, <laughs> I almost got in some trouble over romances yeah. oh my gosh so you know it was um, it's been a very long love affair with, yeah. between you know with me and, and, and romance and you know getting to edit it has been amazing and like grow careers of romance writers has been an amazing thing and to be a part of that community I, you know, I mean, I, I don't think I would ever change anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you remember the first book you edited? Yes. Um, I can't remember the title, but it was a Western romance by Rebecca Wade. Mm-hmm. It was actually the first book that I ever acquired. Um, I don't know. I think it was like, I think I acquired it like six months after I started in publishing. Wow. You know, <laughs> I didn't impressive. waste time. Yeah. I didn't waste time. <laughs> and uh, that was my first, that was the first book that I edited on my own. Every once in a while, I'll go on Amazon and be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> look at it. It's like your baby. Yeah. Full grown online. Uh huh. So, after this quick break, we dig a little deeper with Monique about diversity in the romance community. Stay tuned. So, this is. A topic that I am very, very, very into right now, which is the subject of diversity, diversity specifically in romance publishing with mm-hmm. everything that happened at this year's Rita's. And I know you've spoken a lot about that topic. Can you talk about why this is so vital for just the industry in general? You know, you have these large groups of people that you haven't included or thought about or really kind of looked at 
not necessarily always in this kind of like malicious way or in, I'm, I'm choosing not to, to, to look at you, but it's this way that is systemic, right? And that's always going to be problematic. Anytime that you have large groups of people that you are ignoring in any kind of way, whose needs you aren't meeting, whose voices you aren't hearing, um, there's going to be lack. And it's not just lack for them, it's lack for you as well. And then within publishing, you know, it's just, it's kind of like there's this treasure trove of voices out there that we are just kind of denying ourselves. There's these perspectives that, and these false narratives that continue and persist. It's kind of like, you know, and they end up becoming self-fulfilling prophecies. You know, if you tell yourself that X doesn't sell, and then you allow yourself to do one, and for some reason it doesn't work, then you're like, well, see, you know. And I've been in this business long enough to see that happen over and over again. And when it comes to voices of minorities, um, you know, disenfranchised groups or marginalized groups, you know, allowing yourself to do a few and then saying it doesn't work or even saying it does work is, is really putting everybody at a disadvantage because you're not doing that with anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you look around and you look at your whole list, you're like, you're not making that determination right. with anybody else you're who does. You're only doing less. two cowboy romances. Right. You're doing a million. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. You know, so. that one doesn't work. You're not saying it doesn't work. You're saying, let's try a different voice. Let's right. try a different package. Let's try a different, you know. And we don't have those same kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. So when a book by an Asian American writer doesn't work, it's all Asian American books don't work. Mm-hmm. You're like, mm-hmm. really? There's there's one kind of Asian American story right. and one way to package it and title it and maybe you had the wrong pub month and mm-hmm. you know all the kinds of things. And it's um it's challenging because it's not just about the kind of books that we are choosing to publish. It's how we publish them and it's how we talk about them because the conversations that we have about books that lead to their success are not just the broad conversations, like when we're talking about them in our meetings or talking to them, you know, just in sales and presenting them. It's all these conversations that we have about culture, you know, Mm -hmm. on an everyday basis. If you are completely unaware of someone else's culture, um, it limits the way in which you're going to be able to see it. It's going to limit the way in which you're able to talk about it. It limits the way that you're going to be able to sell that book. It limits, you know, all those things. And it's not that everybody has to become an expert on everybody else's culture. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I'm I'm I know a lot of things about I know more things about, you know, white culture than some people that I work with know about black culture. Right? Yeah. And that's because I have to know. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to know and that's that's, you know, I live in a world in which that that's what needs right. to happen. So, it's 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 not impossible for that to become a natural part of everybody's education. But you have to allow that into the stream. It has to come into your world. And if everything is built and you cannot even turn your head just a little bit to see other people and see other things and say, well, maybe maybe there's a little bit something here. Just like a little bit. Mm -hmm. Not we're not I'm not saying like change your whole like put yourself through this whole evolution that that has to happen before you can do that. It's more of just like just open the door yeah. a little bit, crack yeah. the door open, you get know? a little air in. Yeah, let a little air in. Um, so those things, those things are important. And then like just like the hard conversations that you have to have about like how shit is, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like just the reality and how that is affecting other people. Like having those conversations because you'd be surprised at things that people are not even aware of. They're yeah. like, I didn't even know. 
you felt that way. I didn't even know that was going on. And sometimes you want to be like, <laughs> why? You know, why did yeah. you know? But, you know, okay. You know, but as long as we're having an, a conversation about it for mm-hmm. real, which is not easy. Those conversations are not easy, but they're necessary because understanding has to come along with action. Yeah. Right? So. So a lot of discussions happen at RWA about diversity, about what they're trying to do to you know, deal with that. Um, the readers, there were a lot of speeches that mm-hmm. talked about it. What are your thoughts on that? And do you feel like, have you seen changes in you, over your career? I've seen, I've seen progress and then I've seen regression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I, I mean, that, that alone is frustrating. But I, part of me has also started to wonder if that is also part of the process. And I don't mean that in a, you know, that as a get out of jail free card. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I we get to this place where we get really proud of what we've done. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, look at what we've done. Yeah. You know, oh, we elected a black president. Yay. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. I'm like, good Lord. No. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the you job's got, not done yet. Yeah. <laughs> you got work to do. There's yeah. work to do, you know. Um, so we get really proud of ourselves. And then we tend to think that that is all the work that needs to be done that we've kind of fixed, you know, things mm-hmm. that are so ingrained and entrenched. And so I think we are definitely in that in that space. I mean, for people who are marginalized, they knew they were like, yeah, did none. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a struggle. Um, you're like, are more people of color getting published than, say, 50 years ago mm-hmm. or 75 years ago? Yes. But you know, nobody should be going around patting themselves on the back for right. the like the 10 extra yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that right. got through the door. Um, and why aren't they getting through the door as much as people who aren't in those groups? Yeah. So seeing RWA kind of step forward and em- embrace the question, you know, embrace this conversation is good. I, I you know, we all needed to, um, we all needed to either stop pretending or start having the conversation and there is no kind of like straightforward answer. Just like I said, I was like, the whole idea of just like buy a bunch of books and we're going to fix it fast. I'm mm-hmm. like, mm-mm. That's not how that works. No. no, there's some conversations that need to be happening on every single level within our industry if this is going to change and they're going to be successful. Because the idea is not to just bring in and publish a bunch of, you know, people of color or, you know, from marginalized groups. The idea is to do it well right you know that that's that's the whole thing i mean the whole idea that you know like um i remember probably when like shortly after i started in in publishing there was a pervasive idea that black people didn't read like Mm -hmm. that's just what they thought Mm -hmm. you know because i I don't know how i was like what data are you going on are you you saying that because you don't see them at your book signings or you see you know i don't i really don't know i'm not even asking don't read the signing that you went to right Right. yeah i'm i'm not even asking that sarcastically i'm just like i really don't know what you're basing that on um and so it was like this cool surprise oh you know (laughs) when terry mcmillan and you know like oh my gosh you know and and that persists with other groups as well Mm -hmm. oh it's so bad it's it persists you know this whole and i and i'm like that is the most ridiculous thing are you telling me a whole swath of people don't read how did you come to that conclusion you're like just because they don't put out what you think is cool right they don't read i'm like how about you put out something they think is cool yeah and then they'll read it (laughs) yeah i will never forget i went to a marketing meeting once and we were publishing a book by a latina author and i don't remember the title but the cover was so 
loud and obnoxious. Mm. It was fluorescent yellow and pink and purple and all this shit. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, as the only Hispanic sitting in this room, mm-hmm. I am going to tell you no one's fucking buying this. Yeah. <laughs> because this looks like a goddamn cartoon. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they went with it, and guess what? Nobody bought it. Right. right. Nobody bought it. It was the right. ugliest cover I'd ever seen. But there was this idea that, oh, you know, Latinos, they're spicy. Yeah. And, you mm-hmm. know, we like loud things and loud colors and yeah. loud music, which is all true. But... But you're nuanced Not people. Our, like, right. we're nuanced. like everybody, you know, yeah. like, I'm like, are all your colors, like, all your covers one thing? Right. Yeah. You know, all the white covers aren't beige. Like, with <laughs> 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 the pumpkin spice latte. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's so true that there's this weird thought process that is still, I think, mm-hmm. pervasive in publishing today, where if a certain subsect of people enjoy a certain thing, for one mode of entertainment, be it movies or music or whatever, that they're going to enjoy it that way for every single mm-hmm. thing. And that's just not true yeah. at all for anyone, frankly. Right. Like, just, I feel like people need to stop and look at them their own selves. Like, would you like it if someone expected that you only liked something one way all yeah. the time? Mm-hmm. And we're not, that's not how people are. Right. Publish good books by people of color. Yeah. And people will buy them. Right. All but people will buy them. you got to know what you're doing. Yeah. Too. Yeah. You got to know what you're doing. And if you don't know, then hire somebody who does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. But it, it's, I will say that the, the I feel like some of the right conversations are, are happening. Mm-hmm. They probably aren't happening everywhere that they need to be happening. But you guys, we have to start somewhere. At least that's, that's my way of thinking. Now, we've asked this question of all of our guests. But it's my favorite. And it's an important question. Mm-hmm. Because people do tend to bash romance as a genre as silly literature, pulp fiction for your brain, you know, guilty brain pleasure. candy, guilty pleasure, <laughs> yeah. all this bullshit. I think it's bullshit. Um, <laughs> how would you respond to that and why do you think romance is important? I mean, <clears throat> yes, it is utter and complete bullshit. Um, and I, I think I think that happens for two reasons. I think first of all, it's because it's a it's a it's a genre dominated by women. Mm-hmm. So Genre dominated by women automatically gets cast as being fluffy, you know, and not important enough. And that's for all kinds of misogynistic reasons. And then second, you know, the whole idea that love is this soft, squishy, good feeling, you know, kind of thing that's not really that important um, is completely wrong. Love is like the hardest fucking thing. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not hate. Hate is easy. The love and the whole idea of a genre that explores getting to that place, the explores a person being defenses being torn down and then building themselves back up again through the lens of love is, is something that is incredibly powerful. And it's the hardest thing to do. It is the hardest thing to do is to kind of let down your defenses. It's the hardest thing to be vulnerable. Um, and anybody who steps forward and is just like, love's easy. I'm like, You're is that why they make all those songs about it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Country music is basically an entire musical yeah. genre dedicated to talking about how love is fucking hard. Right, right. right. And, and when your heart is broken... Who's crying in the corner? I <laughs> yeah. mean, you know, it's, Stop it. it's, it's really, um, 
you know, this this idea that it's soft and fluffy, I was like, well, that's crazy because that's a hard that's a hard ass journey. That is yeah. the hero's journey right yep. there. You know, and um, it's not easy to write. Like no. you have, to, <laughs> you know, that's the other thing we've talked a lot about. I feel like they look down on the packaging and yes, sometimes there are funny and ridiculous situations in romance novels, but it's all getting to that point of mm-hmm. dealing with their shit mm-hmm. and the author has to take them there and has to make it believable. And that's not easy. Yeah. And that's where you get any genre has, you know, different levels of good writing. And yeah. but the best ones, that's what you get. I think that uh, people misunderstand sometimes for understandable reasons. But I think mostly they un- misunderstand because they they want to um, they're still buying into some really horrible <laughs> rhetoric, yeah. misogyny and, you know, just kind of like this. What's macho and what's not? Yeah. Yeah. You know? I like it. Okay. <laughs> Erica, this is our last episode of Romance Awareness Month. It's really sad. I'm super sad. Um, But to close it out, we have someone here to tell us a story about the romance community's heart of gold, pun intended, because we like our puns. (laughs) (laughs) We have with us another blogger named Denise Sprung. Denise is one of two bloggers who run the site Shush Moms Reading, which reviews romance novels. And it's an amazing site. You should check it out. Denise lost her brother to suicide 13 years ago, and she started the Keith Milano Memorial Fund to honor him. So Denise's story, we think, really shows the power of the romance community and how love is really all we have at the end. So, Denise, can you tell us how this all began? Sure. First, um, thank you so much for having me. Um, Your podcasts have been so much fun. Christine and I have been listening to them and sharing them. Um, Oh, thank you. Thank you. I lost my brother um, in 2004 to suicide. Keith was bipolar. Um, Our family decided really in that moment that we were going to be open and honest about Keith's death and his struggle with bipolar disorder. So so Katie Ashley is a New York Times bestseller who her indie Mm -hmm. book um, hit the New York Times bestseller list. And as a reward um, to readers, she wrote a short novella. And since Amazon wouldn't allow her to put that up for free... She asked me if she could donate the proceeds to the Keith Milano Memorial Fund, which is housed at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So, of course, I said yes, and I said, how could I help? (laughs) So, as I started to share that first May, um, authors contacted me asking me how they could also help. Some even said, why didn't you invite me? To which I said, I didn't invite (laughs) anyone. So, (laughs) The beauty of this is that first year, it was all really very organic, and we actually raised just over $12,000 for suicide prevention and mental health awareness. The second year, I send invites out um, to authors who I knew or Christine knew, and now, um, this past May, we had just under 40 authors, some I've read, some Christine read, some who were invited by other authors, and we raised um, over $30,000. for the Keith Milano Memorial Fund. Um, It's been both an opening of the wallet, which is important, but also an Mm -hmm. opening of the heart and really sharing stories and people not only talking about, unfortunately, some who've who've lost those to suicide, but more importantly, those stories of people who've found help or who continue to fight that battle and are determined to to find help out there and connect with others. Um, You know, I've gotten personal notes and personal letters from people Um, Some who were very close to taking their own lives, who said, you know, it was something you posted or something you said or Keith popped into my mind and then I just couldn't. And and that is just 
the reason why we've decided to do what we do. So um, that was probably a little heavier than we extended a, a romance podcast to be. But and there are some great romance novels out there with with mental health woven into you know both the primary characters or the secondary characters. And I think that stepping forward and bringing that in and understanding that it's part of the tapestry of who humanity is becomes um, even more beautiful than just the words on the page. Yeah, I I love that about the community. We've talked about this already a little bit that, you know, authors are writing about real issues and that can be mental health. It can be domestic abuse, it can be a lot of things. So it's great that they're pouring that into their writing. But now there's an opportunity here to put their money with it, too, and, and really help the cause. Um, can you tell us what what the money goes to, what kind of research and stuff it helps? So mm-hmm. Keith's Fund sits at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which is the largest nonprofit in this space. And our family releases funds as we see programs that we find compelling. Early mm-hmm. on, one of the first things that we funded was a campaign called More Than Sad. And you can go to morethansad.org. And that is designed to help dialogue between um, high schoolers. And it very much speaks to the, the teen, but more importantly, the teen sitting next to the teen who's suffering. And it talks to teens about the fact that don't feel as if you're violating your friend's trust. You could be saving their lives. Honestly, it's great to hear such compelling language about the way the romance community can band together for something that's so, so important. Um, I think that's the beauty of it here. And I think that, um, you know, the amount of money that we've raised recently, I think shows the good that can be in social media. And social media really can be social and it can be a community, but not dissimilar to many things in our lives. Negative, unfortunately, seems to trend better than positive. So I want to thank you, ladies, for the opportunity to bring the beauty of what the romance community has done, the beauty of how the book community has not just come together to raise funds. I mean, since Keith's death, we've raised over a million dollars. This gives the ability to have that positive come out. And I think that social media takes a really bad hit, particularly in the press, because it's easier to talk about that than the sense of community that many people can get from that. And I think, you know, bringing the romance community together, and I love the idea of let's, let's talk about the fact that we read romance novels. Let's talk about some of the beauty that comes from that. Um, and as you said, Erica, the fact that many topics can be brought up and the fact that a reader can pick that book up and feel a sense of connection is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a perfect note to yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I you. don't even know what else to say. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all this information with us. Yeah. Nope. And we'll make sure that all of this information is in the liner notes that this um, – for the episode that this appears in. And if you want any more information, you can reach Denise at Denise, D-E-N-I-S-E dot sprung, S-P-R-U-N-G at gmail.com. So we want to thank both of our guests again for joining us this week. You can find Monique on Twitter at MoniPat1. That's M-O-N-I-P-A-T-T-1. So you should go follow her. And you can find Denise at shushmomsreading.com. That's shush with two H's. We also want to thank all of our Romance Awareness Month guests. Eileen, Francesca, Jen, Lauren. You guys were also amazing and interesting, and we're lucky to have had you. So that's it then. We're going to go back to our regular every other week drop schedule. So our next episode will drop on September 12th. The couple is definitely one that makes us say we're into you. 
hint, hint, hint. Yeah, they're going to have you thinking that God is a woman. (laughs) (laughs) I was so funny to myself. And as always, don't forget to rate, comment, and listen to the show. And we definitely want to hear from all of you with couple ideas, segment ideas, you name it. You can either tweet at us at OTP underscore pod or shoot us an email at OTP at McMillan.com. That's OTP at M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N.com. Cheers. Cheers. One Shoe Pairing is produced by our goddess, Becky Celestina, with support from the fabulous Alexander Abnos and Katie Ferguson. The senior editor of Macmillan Podcast is the amazing Alyssa Martino. To find out more about OTP and all of Macmillan's other awesome shows, visit us at macmillanpodcast.com. 